according to these false prophets, the world has ended. And it keeps ending, over and over and over again. All the calculations indicate this is the year. As we all know, the world ended in 1843 when 100,000 followers of William Miller gathered in white robes to await their rapture. It ended again in 1910 when people sold bottled air because the toxic gases of Halley's Comet wiped out humanity. In 2011, Harold Camping spent $5 million on 5,000 billboards all across the U.S., warning Christ was coming on May 21st. Either none of us got picked and we're all screwed, or great, and I'm going to go fishing this summer. On May 23rd, he quickly corrected it to October 21st, which, of course, is exactly when the world ended. Well, obviously, I haven't understood it correctly because we're still here. We all remember when the Mayan calendar ended, and so did the world in 2012. And Jesus is already here, according to this former IT specialist, now cult leader. The date of the end has been predicted so many times, it's surprising anyone still tries. And yet, they do. So I want to start off by telling you one of the weirdest stories that I've ever read. This is a true story. It happened in Little Rock, Arkansas. A husband and wife were driving down the highway when all of a sudden the wife starts screaming, he's back, he's back. True story. He's back, he's back. And then she climbed out of the car. They're driving down a highway. She climbs out of the car, out of a sunroof, and jumps out of the car onto the highway, and there she dies. She believed that the rapture was happening and that Jesus had returned, and she didn't want to be left behind. Well, of course, police officers, firefighters, they, they came to the scene, and they began to interview different people as to the tragedy that unfolded before their eyes. And they talked to one guy, true story, one guy who looked to be like Jesus. He had long brown hair. He had on a toga for some reason, and he was driving a pickup truck. And so they're interviewing him, and they said, what in the world, what, what did you see? He said, well, I was just driving my pickup truck when my tarp on the bed of my truck came loose, and I had a bunch of blow-up dolls in the back of the truck, and they were filled with helium, and they got loose, and they started floating up to the sky. <laughs> said, I had about a dozen of them. Said, so I pulled over the truck, and I was exasperated, so I looked like this. And I guess that's when the woman and her husband drove by. They interviewed the husband. This is what he said. She really loved Jesus. And when she saw this unfold before her eyes, she didn't want to be left behind. Friends, listen to me. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, when Jesus returns, you don't have to crawl out of a sunroof and help him on up to the heavens, all right? He has enough power to get you there all by yourself. Friends, this is one of the most talked about things in all of Scripture. I don't know if you know that or not. The second coming of Jesus gets more press than the first coming. See, you know the story about Jesus being born in the tiny little town of Bethlehem and they wrapped him in swaddling clothes and they lied him in a manger because there was no room for them in the guest house, right? You know that story. But the story that gets the most press is the return of Jesus. Did you know there are 1,845 verses in the Bible that talk about the return of Jesus? That there are 17 different Old Testament books that speak about the return of the Messiah. 
that out of every 10 chapters in the New Testament, seven out of every 10 chapters in the New Testament talk about the return of Jesus. My goodness, Jesus spoke of his return 21 different times. Now, even though the Bible states that Jesus is going to return over and over and over again, there are still skeptics that don't believe that Jesus is actually going to return. The Bible talks about this in 2 Peter. Look at this passage of Scripture. 2 Peter says, You must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, Where is this coming that he promised? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. So it says what? It says, Scoffers come scoffing. Why is there scoffers that scoff? When you have a conversation, it's rare, isn't it, when you talk about the return of Jesus? Probably not outside your Christian friends or your small group. It's rare to talk to someone, I don't know, this could be a sign of the end time. You know what happens when you have those kinds of conversations? People start rolling their eyes. Like, here we go again. Here's somebody else predicting the end of the world. Scoffers come scoffing. Why are they scoffing? Because people have predicted Jesus' return over and over and over again. And they've been wrong every single time. Look at what it says here. It says they deliberately forget. The scoffers come scoffing. They deliberately forget. That in the original Greek means this. They intentionally overlook. They intentionally overlook the fact that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. Peter says, you know what, what, what scoffers are going to come scoffing because they deliberately forget that God made everything that we see. And, and they scoff. They say, oh, where's this coming of the Messiah, this return of Jesus? They forget. What do they forget? That God made everything. They forget that everything you see, everything you experience, everything in your body, everything in our universe, everything in the galaxies and the galaxies beyond us, God spoke all of that into existence. And now we can see farther out into the galaxies than we've ever seen before. And there's billions and billions of other galaxies that God has created. Do you honestly think a God who has that kind of power has a problem bringing his son back to return to this earth again? No, they, they deliberately forget. And then he says this in verse 8. Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. I want you to understand this. The only reason. Jesus has waited to crack open the sky and come back. It's because he's patiently waiting for you. For those who have not trusted in Jesus Christ to be the leader and forgiver of their life, every single day that Jesus delays is another opportunity for you to get your life right with God. But let me tell you something, friends. For those of you who have been putting it off and putting it off and you've done it for years, don't presume upon his patience. For one day he will come like a thief in the night at a moment that you least expected. The passage continues, verse 10. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. And the elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. 
Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and you speed its coming. So here's the bottom line. Jesus is going to return. So the question is, when is he going to return? Well, I hate to tell you this, but you've already missed it. Okay, I don't know if you know that or not, but it was back in 2012. Do you remember that? 2012. The Mayan calendar was coming to an end. Do you remember panicking about this? Oh, the Mayan calendar was coming to an end. I don't know what we're going to do. December 21st, 2012, Jesus is going to come back. We all need to get ready. The Mayan calendar is going to end on that day. Remember that? They were even put a movie out, the 2012. Anybody see the movie 2012? Play along at home. Anybody see that movie? I, I rented it at the Red Box for $1.50. When I got done with it, I wanted my buck fifty back. That's what I wanted right there. Because this guy's driving around in an RV going faster through volcanic explosions all around him. That's the craziest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. It was a stupid movie, I'll tell you that right now. People have been predicting the end of the world for a long, long time, haven't they? Jehovah's Witnesses, which just, by the way, happens to be a cult. They have predicted the end of the world several times. Let me give you a few. 1914, 1915. 1918, 1919, 1920. They had a little period right there, a little trifecta going on that one, didn't they? 1925, 1941, 1975, and 1994. When I was in the seminary, there was a booklet that came out, a pamphlet called 88 Reasons Why Jesus Will Return in 1988. Some of you old timers probably remember this one, okay? 88 Reasons Why Jesus Will Return in 1988. Can I tell you how many questions I got about that stupid book? People came up to me and said, oh, my goodness, have you read this book? It's incredible. All the 88 prophecies and it all points to 1988. And the author says we can't predict the exact date and time because Jesus said no one knows the day and the hour. But I, we can predict maybe the month, maybe, maybe the year. Is Jesus coming back in 1988? And I said, no, he's not coming back in 1988. I can probably do that right now. Well, guess what? Jesus didn't come back. If you didn't know that, Jesus didn't come back in 1988. So you know what the guy did? He wrote a sequel called 89 Reasons. Did you know that? It's true. And look at, look at the cover. It just kind of goes on and on and on and on and on. At that point, he's like, oh, I've already blown it. So I'm just going to say, from now on, he could come back. You know, that's what I'm going to. Anybody remember Y2K? Ho, 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 ho. Yeah. Everything's, all hell's going to break loose. We're going to party like in 1999. It's going to be bad one next day, right? That's what's going to happen. Because the computers have a computer glitch. Remember this? And when they go over to double zero, all the power grids are going to go down and the water system's going to go down. We're going to go back to the Stone Age once again. And churches hosted these things called the Joseph Project. Do you remember this? Because we're going to have seven years of plenty. We've got to store up for the seven years of famine because as soon as the new year comes, we need to make sure that we're prepared. So what did people do? They bought these big cartons at Sam's Club and Costco of survival food, didn't they? And they stacked these things up and they bought bottled water. You could not find bottled water because people were storing it up. At the very least, you filled up your bathtub, didn't you? How many of you filled up your bathtub? I know I'm not the only one. I did because I wanted to be able to flush. Do you understand what I'm saying? That is important to me. But if I'm going to go, we're going to flush. That's all I want to say about that. And then you started watching the other countries, and you saw, oh, the power grid's fine, and everything seems to be fine. How many days did it take for you emptied your bathtub? 
because it took me three. <laughs> Because I wasn't sure. But people say, well, Jesus is going to come back. This is a sign of the end times. Even to this day, if you're on TikTok, there are crazy videos out there all the time. Say, oh, this is when Jesus is going to return. This is when it's going to happen right now. Oh, no, 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 no. What's the Bible say? Let's find out what Jesus said. Mark, Mark 13, 32. No one knows about that day or hour. Not even the angels in heaven nor the Son but only the Father. Now, I spent some time this week parsing the Greek on this. I don't do that very often, but I parsed the Greek because I knew that there was a secret hidden meaning in this verse of Scripture, like some kind of decoder ring that you would get from a box of cereal, right? So I began to parse the Greek, and this is what, this is what it actually says. Are you ready? It says this. No one knows about that day or hour. No one knows. No one knows. Okay, the first week of this series, we talked about that Paul was writing to the church at Thessalonica, and they were concerned. They were concerned about those who had died, what happens to us, when would Jesus return? Well, between the book of 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, guess what? Some people said Jesus returned, and the church at Thessalonica felt like they were left behind. They were scared to death. They thought, oh, well, what in the world are we going to do? And so Paul sits down to write these believers in Thessalonica to say, you didn't miss it. And to give us some more detail about the second coming of Jesus. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6. Look at what he says here. God is just. He'll pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to those who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. On the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you believed our testimony to you. Okay, according to this passage of scripture... Jesus returns, he's going to accomplish these three things. You ready? Write these down if you're taking notes. Number one is this, he will execute justice. His first coming, he came as a baby. At his second coming, he will come as a judge. To judge the sins of all mankind. Revelation chapter 19 says, I saw heaven staying open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called faithful and true. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He's dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. In his first coming, he came as a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. At his second coming, he'll be wrapped in a robe, a royal robe dipped in blood. At his first coming, he was surrounded by cattle and other farm animals. At his second coming, he'll be surrounded by the armies 
of heaven. At his first coming, all you could hear was the cry of a tiny baby. But at his second coming, his voice will thunder over the sky. And at his first coming, he was the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. But at his second coming, he will be the lion from the tribe of Judah, Judah, coming to reign justice upon this world. Now, if we're honest, we long for justice, don't we? We long for it. My goodness, when things don't go your way, you say, that's not fair. That's not right. When someone hurts you, when someone wounds you, when, when someone short sheets you, man, you say, that's not fair. That's not right. Something needs to be done about this. Football season is coming up. You're going to be sitting there, men. You're going to be watching the game, and there's going to be a bad call, and the replay is going to show that it was a catch. Dallas Cowboy fans, you understand what I'm talking about right now? It was a catch, you understand? And then they're going to come out and say, incomplete, and you're going to say, there's no justice in this world. (laughs) Get ready for the next four months. You're going to let a football team determine your emotions. That's just the way it's going to be, okay? We long for justice. We cry out for justice. There's something inside of you and something inside of me that says it's just not supposed to be this way. One of my favorite movies of all time is the movie Tombstone. I cannot recommend it to your children. But uh, I enjoy that movie an awful lot. And for those of you who have never seen the movie, it's about Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday. And they go into this town and they're going to bring law and order to this town. But there's a renegade group of people. The cowboys are there and they're causing all kinds of problems and just very ungodly people. Well, as they try to bring law and order, the cowboys get more and more upset. And then on one rainy night, they make an assassination attempt on Wyatt and his brothers. And they're pretty successful. One of his brothers dies in the, in the night. Uh, his other brother is shot and he's crippled. Wyatt was able to survive the evening. And he realizes, I need to get my family out of this town. And so he takes them and he goes to a train station to get out of town. But the cowboys are lying in wait to finish Wyatt and his family off once and for all. But Wyatt is ready for them. And after killing a couple of the cowboys on the train uh, floor, he lets one live. And he says, i got a message that I want you to give them as you run back. You tell them I'm coming. And hell's coming with me. When Jesus comes back, he will bring judgment upon this world. Now, it's amazing to me that we've lost our our reverence for God. We've lost our awe of God. See, we've forgotten about the holiness of God. And I think the reason we've done that is because many times God's justice is delayed justice, isn't it? He will avenge. He will take care of it. But it's always in the future, isn't it? I was thinking this past week as I was working on this. I thought about Noah. You know, the Bible says, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of God. Well, there was delayed justice during the days of Noah, wasn't there? Every inclination of man was on evil all the time, so much so that God was grieved. God was sad that he had made us. And so he determined that he was going to send a flood. And he was going to wipe mankind from the face of the earth. And he was going to start over again with Noah because Noah was a righteous man. So he told Noah, you build an ark. And how long did it take him to build the ark? 120 years. 
And what did Noah do? Because people came around to see what Noah was doing. Because he's building an ark in the middle of nowhere. Not even close to a body of water. And Noah continues to proclaim that judgment is coming. Repent. Repent before it's too late. And what did the people do? They ignored him. They said, where's this coming? Where's this flood you're talking about? And they laughed at him and they scoffed at him. And they kept on doing whatever they wanted to do, living however they wanted to. Even though they knew the way they were living their life was an honoring or pleasing to God. They knew it. They wouldn't change their ways. Why? Because they said, we got plenty of time. I'll figure that out tomorrow. I'll worry about tomorrow. I'll take care of that tomorrow. But one of those tomorrows isn't going to come. You realize that, right? Whether it's when you breathe your last breath on this earth or when he cracks open the sky, you won't get another opportunity at that point. And that's why the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Let me tell you another reason why we don't have a lot of honor and awe and respect for the holiness of God. It's because churches today, and I think we're probably one of them, we, we so much fixate on the love of God. We would love to hear about the love of God. We don't want to hear about the holiness of God. We don't want to hear about the justice of God. Give me some more love. That's what I want to know. How much does he love me? Tell me how much I mean to him. How much he died for me. Tell me about his love. He does love you. He loves you so much that he sent Jesus to die for you. But why did he die? Because the holiness of God demanded it. We sinned. We went our own way and we did our own thing. There had to be a sacrifice for our sin. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. So Jesus comes, dies in our place. God kills his only son. You want to know how serious God takes sin? He didn't kill him fast, did he? He was tortured. He hung on a cross for six hours one Friday, bearing the weight of our sin debt so that the holiness of God could be appeased. Because we can't get into the presence of God except for the blood of Jesus Christ. We have no hope. And for those of you who say, oh, I don't need this, I'll put this off, he's just trying to scare everybody. You will stand before God and you'll give an account for your life. For every careless word you ever said, for every ungodly deed you ever done, you'll give an account for that. And you want that for everybody else because you want justice. Well, justice is coming. And for those of you who think your goodness was good enough, in that moment when he lays out your entire life, you'll know that you're not good enough. And that his holiness is something other. And you'll be too late. Or you can come to your senses and realize that you're a great sinner in need of a great Savior. And that God so loved you that he gave his only son to pay a price you could never ever pay so that you might have a relationship with him. Friends, what in the world are you going to do with Jesus? And at what point in time do you make him the most important thing in your life? Because your life and your eternal life depends upon it. He will come and he will execute justice. Let me give you the second thing. 
He will also bring relief to those who are hurting. The Bible says in 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 6, he'll pay back trouble to those who, are troubled, who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled. My goodness, we live in a world now, if you stand up for Jesus, you're going to be ridiculed. You're going to be laughed at. You're going to be made fun of. I know of people who go to work in work environments that are very, very hard, very, very difficult. Very hard to be a light for Jesus Christ. They're laughed at. They're made fun of. I know business people who have been looked over for promotions because of their love for Jesus Christ. Because they won't go along with whatever the corporate line is. They won't cut the corners and do the unethical things that everybody else is doing because they're trying to live their life for an audience of one. And they're ostracized as a result of that. These past few months, we've had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people that have given their lives over to Jesus Christ. And I've heard story after story, them going back to their families back home saying, I thought my wife, I thought my husband, I thought my mom, I thought my dad would be excited about my decision to ask Jesus in my life. And they made fun of me. And they laughed at me and they said I was just another brainwashed person. And I thought these people would rejoice with me. It's my mom. It's my dad. It's my brother. It's my sister. And you feel so alone. I, I know of kids who go to school day after day after day trying to be a light for Jesus Christ. And they are put down. Put down for what they believe in, for what they hold to be true. Put down for the fact that they're trying their best to live to hear one day God say, well done, good and faithful servant. And they just get tired. And they've been made fun of so much. I want you to get this verse of scripture, 1 Peter 4, 4, says this, your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things they do. So what do they do? They slander you. And most of us, if not all of us, have felt that from time to time. But let me be honest with you, that kind of persecution pales in comparison to what's going on overseas. My goodness, people are dying for the cause of Christ. In our day and age, people are being in prison. People are being thrown in concentration camps. People are being stripped from their families. People are losing their lives. I read a story this past week about a communist, uh, a, a group of communists who gathered together to get this pastor. They were in a communist country. I think it was Romania years ago. And uh, they were beating the pastor. And the reason they were beating him was they wanted the names of all the church members. They wanted to get all those people to imprison them, to kill them. And the pastor refused to give them the names. Well, they burned him with a hot poker. They struck him over and over again. They stabbed him and cut him with knives. And yet he still wouldn't relent. He wouldn't give them the names. And then they brought in his 14-year-old son. And they started beating him. What would you do? It's your kid. Would you give up the names? Because they hit that boy again and again and again. And finally the pastor, the dad said, stop. I'll give you what you want. And that 14-year-old looked at his dad and said, dad, please don't be a traitor. If I die today... I will die with the words, Jesus in my fatherland. And they killed that kid. The untold story in our world today that you won't see on the nightly news, 
is the number of Christians who are dying. In fact, in the last 100 years, more Christians have died for the cause of Jesus Christ than the first 2,000 years of Christianity all combined. Think about that. You don't think Jesus is coming back soon? He says he'll come to help those who are in trouble, to give relief to those who are in trouble. Who else is in trouble? Those suffering with bodies that don't function properly. I was reading a book by Joseph Stoll, and he talks about a friend of his who runs this place in Wisconsin for mentally challenged children. He said, when we get these kids, a lot of them haven't been taught anything. People have given up on them. So the first thing we do is we tell them about the love of God. And we tell them about how much God loved them, that he gave Jesus to die on the cross for them, and rose again from the dead. And that one day, Jesus is going to come back to take us to be with him. And when he comes to take us back, every one of you children will be normal. He continued the tour around the facility, and the director said, you know, one of the things that's interesting about our facility is that the biggest issue we've got is dirty windows. Joseph looked at the man and said, what are you talking about, dirty windows? He said, yeah, every morning when the kids wake up, they run over to the windows, and they put their faces in their hands, and they look to the sky hoping that maybe today will be the day that Jesus will come back and make them normal. Friends, when Jesus comes back, there ain't no more cancer. There's no more leukemia. There's no more uh, uh, bodies that are crippled. All of a sudden, we'll get a brand new body that is painless and, and powerful. Let me give you the third thing that he's going to do. He's going to glorify his name. On that day, he comes to be glorified. When Jesus came the first time, he was humiliated. They laughed at him, they mocked him, they spit on him, they rejected him. And even to this day, he's rejected. Get that cross off government property. Take those Ten Commandments down. You can't pray in our schools. But on this day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I'm looking forward to it. Shirley MacLaine, who believes in reincarnation, that we just keep coming back here again and again and again, she'll be the first to say, you got one life to live. Frank Sinatra will start to sing, I should have done it his way. <laughs> Charles Darwin will profess that Jesus is the Lord of all creation. Mick Jagger will say the only one you can find satisfaction in is Jesus Christ. And Bart Simpson will finally shut up. <laughs> or at the very least, be still and know that he is God. Aren't you looking forward to that day? I can't wait. So as a result of all this, this is what the passage ends. Pray. Pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus is coming back. So are you living for him today? Are you glorifying him today? Are you ready to go with him? Or will you be under his wrath? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, for those of us here in this room and at home who have for some reason put off getting serious about you. 
I pray today would be the day we finally make the decision. No more, no more saying tomorrow. Because we know you're alive. We know you're real. And we know that there's nothing stopping you from doing it even now. But Lord, we don't want to ask you into our life because we're fearful of that. We want to ask you into our life because we love you. Because no one's ever cared for us like you care for us. And no one's ever believed in us like you believe in us. So Lord, I pray for a moment of clarity. I pray that the power of your Holy Spirit would so come down upon people. That for those who don't know you, that today would be the day that they would profess you as the leader and forgiver of their life. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.